Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Cat Disgusted. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you guys for the overwhelmingly positive response that uh, that that I got from the last episode that I did with with my good friend Melanie. Uh, it was super fun to do, and Tracy is a hilarious town to go visit. And although MC Hammer didn't show up. Um, like I was hoping he would by the end of the episode. I feel like the, the experience alone uh, warrants another take at it. So uh, we're planning on doing another another one of those. Uh, we've been kicking around some some good ideas, but I feel like it's been a while since I've recorded an episode after that because we've been I was so excited about the joint adventure that I've, I've been we've been working on the next version of that. Uh, but in the meantime, however, uh, there was a stupid breed of such magnitude that came into our hospital. I thought that it, it would be well worth uh, doing an episode that involves that particular breed, and then also that particular breed led into a fabulous venipuncture of the week. So um, to kill some time between uh, me and Mel B's next adventure together, we're going to talk about. Um, um, another stupid breed, and, and what leads into a fabulous vein of puncture of the week. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the British Bulldog. It ain't about tea and biscuits. I'm one of those English misfits. I don't drink tea, I drink spirits, and I talk a lot of slang in my lyrics. Then goes a horse, horses for horses, and I'm all like horses. So we've got my people to blame for this, uh, the old British bulldog. Um, I feel like the history of bulldogs is actually kind of interesting. So that's 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 a point in their direction. Um, we, you know, they. I was watching the news the other day, and they come up as. Um, they were doing some like popularity of the breeds of 2015 or something like that. And uh, Labrador Retrievers were number one. German Shepherds were number two. Uh, number three was, oh, Golden Retrievers. And then they kind of like were like, oh, they're all cute. And you know how newscasters will banter a little bit. But they, they did mention that uh, Bulldogs actually come up as like, I think they said like fourth or fifth, actually, as a popular breed in the United States, um, which is... Uh, uh, of two minds about that. I mean, I feel like 
Yeah, they're super cute. I mean, like if you have not if you have not seen uh, a YouTube video of bulldog puppies like playing and rolling around, then you need to like stop listening to this and Google that right now because seriously, they're like little potatoes. They're the cutest thing you've ever seen. Uh, but they, you know, they don't age well and they get all kinds of problems. And of course, we're, we'll cover all this. And I feel like at a vet hospital, you see a lot of them because they're popular, but also because they're all messed up all the time. So. We'll, 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 we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's, let's start at the beginning. Let me take you back, way back, uh, to England of the 1800s. Um, bulldogs are called bulldogs because literally they were used for a sport called bull baiting. Um, bull baiting was a sport that uh, involved usually one, I think, you know, one big, giant, aggressive bull and what they would do is they would release this bull into like an arena of some kind and then they would release a bunch of these dogs that were bull baiting dogs and like you're baiting the bull is the idea with you by aggravating it with these dogs and the dogs would grab the bull by the nose and wrestle it to the ground so as you could imagine, there'd be multiple dogs that were killed during these fights, you know, because they they'd be the bull would be swinging them around. So you can imagine the like the kind of the bit of chaos, bit of bloodshed. I'm sure there was gambling that went on, like you know, betting on which dog was going to win. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit there, but I'm sure that that was part of it. Um, the way that the dogs had to be constructed to withstand any of this, uh, they had to be really, really, really strong. Um, they had to have really strong necks and jaws because really what they would do, I mean, when they clamped onto the bull's nose, they weren't supposed to let go. So that, I mean, you can imagine like having like a dog hanging off your nostrils that that might take you down after a minute or two. So the idea is the bull would get exhausted and uh, would be would be subdued to the ground, you know, kind of fall to his knees on the ground. So they had these, um, the dogs were bred with these wrinkles in their faces. And so uh, for those of us who can recall the cute little potato puppies of the bulldogs, you can see they have these wrinkles that kind of go down from like the corner, like the inside corners of their eyes, which we call the medial canthus, all the way down to either side of their of their lower jaw, their mandible. And this was actually a very intentional construction because what that would do, anybody who's been hit in the nose and had a nosebleed knows that that sucker pumps once it gets bleeding. And so all this blood would be pouring out of the bull's nose and the dog could be blinded by that. And so what they what they did is they bred them to have these channels in their face so the blood would actually kind of channel away from not not going into their mouth to choke them, not going into their eyes to blind them. Sweet, right? <laughs> so they also had a uh, bear baiting. And now I found less I found less information on bear baiting. I'm, I'm assuming because it was trickier to wrangle a bear into an arena without losing one of the humans in the process. Uh, but the dogs were used for that as well. So the with the wrinkles in their face, their really, really strong necks, they could get kind of thrown around and like less of them would be dead than if they were than if it was another type of type of dog breed. 
Um, they're pretty like, I mean, they're built like tanks these days. So they're actually these short stocky legs and these really wide bodies. Um, back in the day when they were doing these bull baiting things, they were actually had to be fairly agile because they had to dodge these bulls horns and everything. So they were kind of more constructed like boxers, like the way that, that bulldogs used to be. And it was after bull, um, the bull baiting was outlawed that they kind of got this short stocky stature because they weren't actually doing that sport anymore. Thankfully, there there was something called the Cruelty to Animals Act of 1835 that happened in England. Um, way to go, old-timey people. What this did is it outlawed bull baiting, it outlawed bear baiting, it also outlawed cockfighting. Um, so at that point, they stopped this horrible practice of having the the, the dogs fly around the arena with, with the bull bleeding to death. And uh, these animals became more pets because they didn't stop loving these dogs, but they, uh, they stopped using them for the sport. Now, because because they became more pets, that's why they kind of changed in the shape of how they're constructed, not as leggy, they didn't need to be as athletic. Um, they, they still retained some of their, like some of their, obviously the wrinkles in their face, they retain that, right? It's kind of funny to look at one of our lazy bulldogs these days and imagine like, oh, look, the channels in your face are so that the blood doesn't blind you. Hmm. But they actually used to be um, pretty aggressive dogs, like they had to be in order to, to even think that they could take down a freaking one-ton bull. So the, the aggression was also bred out of them over time. Now, not to say that you don't see your occasional aggressive bulldog. I feel like, thankfully, the bulldogs that we get in the hospital are generally pretty nice. Um Every now and then there'll be one that's food aggressive or isn't real super good with kids, you know, something like that. Um, but generally they're pretty nice dogs. I loved this one bulldog that used to come uh, frequently to uh, to my to my old job. His name was Turtle. Uh, Turtle was a very large, square, nice. Uh, British bulldog uh, who who used to come in for skin problems. He had like a nail bed fungus that wasn't going away. Uh, my favorite was when uh, Turtle came in for being attacked by a dog at a dog park. Um, now, the owner of Turtle was super nice and super smart. Uh, she said she literally got Turtle as a puppy and then immediately got herself the most like bling gold plated pet insurance health plan that she could find because she knew uh, that Turtle was going to have all kinds of problems throughout his life, which he he did. Um, when I met him, I think he was six or seven. Um, but you know, he, he I was at uh, that hospital for four or five years and he was still going um, when I left. And so I feel like she did a really good job with him. Uh, the dog attack was the first time that I saw Turtle on emergency. You know, usually he'd come in during the day for uh, for, for the general practice hours for like just health checks, that kind of thing, you know, like reapply his ointment to his fungus, wherever it may be. Uh, but this this time he came in uh, to the ER and she had had him at the dog park. And generally Turtle was pretty good with other dogs. Um, sometimes bulldogs can be dog aggressive. But he was pretty good. Uh, she said a Labrador retriever puppy, I think is what it was, young dog, um, ran up to him and he didn't even see the dog coming and it bit him in the face. And it basically, I mean, his, his, his head was so massive, like just this big giant lion's head of bulldog wrinkles that she said she didn't even, like he didn't even really like react at all. Like this dog had its canine sunk into his like, you know, doggy forehead. And he's like, hmm, 
okay. And he just like kind of turned and looked at this other dog and he's, his neck is so like huge and strong. The other dog kind of like, you know, let go because he basically just like whipped his head around and kind of flung the dog off. And, uh, he was left with two like holes, like right above his eye, like kind of in his forehead wrinkle. And it literally looked like we use these thing called biopsy, um, biopsy punches, which take a little circle of skin and they can send it out to an outside lab for like analysis. It literally looked like someone had taken like punch biopsies out of the top of his head. So there really wasn't much for us to do because with dog bites, oftentimes if you sew them closed and they're, they're dirty wounds, then they can get really infected or the skin will die and all types of types of terrible things. So what I did is I just took turtles, turtle into the nurse's treatment area and I just flushed the heck out of those little punch biopsy holes. And he just kind of stood there the whole time, just like panting and, and, uh, trying to remain calm. I think he was a little riled up, but you know, as, as riled up as turtle could get. And we just cleaned the heck out of those wounds and sent him home. And it was like, he was like, nothing ever happened. Like he was never stressed. He was never in pain. Those wounds didn't even really bleed. So it was like, it, it literally like a, like a dog biting into a just a meatball. Um, I love that dog. I thought Turtle was great. And he was really well taken care of. So he's a good example. That's a great example of a, of a bulldog owner right there. So that's a pretty good segue into, uh, into the, the involvement of hospitals and bulldog lives. So, you know, veterinarians, they see a British bulldog walk through the doors of their hospital and it's like, cha-ching, like that is going to be... That's going to be some money made from from that dog. Even in its most healthy, butamous, young part of its life, uh, bulldogs are just animals fraught with problems. So there's a couple things. That we'll, we'll, we'll cover the things that are most generally wrong with the bulldog. So they're a big dog in a small body. I think that's kind of the best way that, that we can think of it. And like I was saying before, they weren't always... Um, kind of squatty like that. Um, they they were bred to be. They they as soon as they stopped having to be athletes, then they kind of got bred to be you know mostly pets and companion animals. Um, th- what it means is is because they're this like a big dog that they shrunk into a small body, they still get big dog problems. So you know bulldogs have horrible joint problems. They can have horrible hip dysplasia. That's a really big one. So that kind of like rolling bulldog walk that you see in like the Looney Tunes cartoons is like they're doing that because they're not really put together that well. Like they get arthritic really early in life. Um, Their hips can be completely bonkers as far as what their joint, like where their, um, where the top of their femur meets their pelvis. Like the hip dysplasia is when that joint is all messed up. And so that can happen. Uh, that that can be a congenital thing. Like you know, they they have this for for those of for those of us listening to this podcast who don't have to deal with hip dysplasia on a daily basis. Um, you know, in the veterinary world, there there's like uh, there's a breeding standard, especially for big dogs, of having hip dysplasia not be something that's continued in a bloodline when you're breeding dogs. And there's like an ofi- official organizations for that. The Orthopedic Foundation for Animals, or the OFA, uh, was created so that you didn't have uh, bloodlines of breeds of dogs that would perpetuate this this horrible thing where they literally would be unable to walk after the first couple of years of their life. There's official films that you you send to them that have standards, and any veterinary technician who's taken OFA films, you know how much we love those, uh, because they're so specific in the way that you have to hold the dog's legs in order to, you know, have it all. I mean, all those, all those standards 
standards are very high and rightly so because it's a really horrible problem to have to deal with with a, a, a dog young in its life when it doesn't have to be. You can you can prevent that from happening. Just like if your dog has messed up hips, then don't breed it. Uh, the other thing they can get is um, a GDV. We've talked about gastric dilatation volvulus before on this show. Uh, in our surgery episode, because it's real bad. We just had, and we have had two emergency um, surgeries in the last uh, in the last eight days, I think, for for GDVs. And bulldogs can absolutely get that. You know, you think of it like a like you think of like a Great Dane or Great Pyrenees or German Shepherd is going to get uh, is going to get bloat really easily because it's big deep chest. But you know, bull- bulldogs they also have really big deep chests. It's just that they're really low to the ground, so they can absolutely get something like that. Um, the thing that you're going to see a bulldog for the most in like general practice is uh, skin problems. So they have all those adorable folds in their face. They have them over their tail. They have them on their feet um, and all those little adorable wrinkles that make the cute puppy so cute. Um, they are nothing but a bacteria carnival happening in those warm moist folds and so keeping those skin folds really really clean is like a yeah, that's a full-time job for a for a bulldog owner um you know they kind of they, like you'll see you'll see like a they have these like wipes called maliquette wipes which you know bulldog owners will buy in bulk they just got to like wipe between the folds to keep them clear of debris and clear of like the fungus and there's a they can get filled with like yeast and it can smell real bad Ooh, everybody's had the stinky bulldog that they've smelled coming down the hall. Um, the thing that 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 is also a problem with these guys with their big squishy wrinkly faces, they have breathing problems. Now I know we talked about that with the Pekingese, um, with the last episode of the Stupid Breeds, and it is totally the same problem. Like it's the same same type of thing, a uh, brachycephalic syndrome, which literally means short head. Um, they have an elongated soft palate. And so, you know, that bulldog sound that you hear the, <laughs> like that sound is them trying to f- get air into their lungs. And they have really, um, in addition to having an elongated soft palate that's flapping around in the breeze at the top of their airway there, they also can have really narrow, narrow um, nostrils or nares uh, is what we call it in in the old dog anatomy. And so uh, there are some corrective surgeries you can have for that. Uh, you know, there's a, a bulldog that belongs to one of my emergency physicians who has had um, many a plastic surgery excursion to help her face be more conducive to life <laughs> generally um she's had her nares widened and i think she's had a what they call a soft palate resection uh all those procedures they're also fraught with complications because you know bulldogs airways have to be protected when they're under any type of anesthesia so then if you put a bulldog under anesthesia and then you're gonna like mess with their airway it's like you know when you take the the endotracheal tube out it's always very dramatic because you don't want to have to put it back in right away if they can't breathe um, so airway and bulldogs is it, it, like our friend, the Pekingese can be really, really problematic um, and expensive. You know, any, any time there's a, well, and turtle is a great example because we were like, oh God, do we have to put turtle under anesthesia to fix these wounds that he has on his head? Now for him, it would have been more risky to put him under anesthesia than it would be to risk um, 
uh, just giving it a real good flush and clean from those wounds while he was awake. Because if they go, even if they're just sedated slightly, um, that soft palate can just flap on down and they're not awake enough to put enough effort into breathing. And so they can have air, like their airway can close up so easily. So even a bulldog that's lightly sedated will most likely have to intubate them. Uh, in fact, at most, who am I kidding? Most likely we will, we will have to intubate them. Uh, in the, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, it, but then again, everybody, I feel like most technicians will tell you like, oh man, they can be really tricky. Like they have these giant heads and yet the airway can be really tiny. So you see these big old meatball dogs coming out of, you know, coming out of like the OR or like coming out of their, um, their procedure that they've had and they've got this like drinking straw of an endotracheal tube and it's like really I was really like fascinated by that when I first started doing this job I'm like that big dog and they're like oh yeah you know that the the airway bulldogs can be really tiny even though they got this big old meaty head um so fascinating I found that totally fascinating when I first started doing this Let's see. What else can I tell you about that? Oh, right. So there is, um, I feel like a lot of times we'll hear in the ER, there's a collapsing bulldog that's coming. Um, and it can be one of two things. Heart failure is really common in these guys. And so inevitably with heart failure, if your heart's not, um, if your heart's not functioning properly, then your, your vessels get a little bit leaky and you can start having fluid build up in your lungs, um, and so a, a dog that's already going to have, uh, that's already going to be prone to, um, to respiratory stress is, 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 uh, is going to be doomed if they're going to be in heart failure and then be panting. Um, a lot of times when, when bulldogs are panting or they're having a stressful event, they get what we call hyperthermic, which means they get hot because, you know, dogs pant to let off heat and these poor guys, they can barely breathe as it is. And then if they have to like work harder at it in order to cool themselves off, I mean, it just doesn't go very well. They just don't do it very well. And so they can get really hot really easily. Um, nightmare scenarios like the bulldog that comes in for a nail trim, like a really routine thing and yet hates having its nails trimmed. And so you end up with these like four technicians wrestling this dog to the ground to trim its nails. And all of a sudden its temperature is 107 and it won't stop panting. And all of a sudden it's in, it's, it's totally in respiratory distress. And it was all for just restraint. That's all you did. So you have to be careful with these dogs. There was a bulldog named Deuce Bigelow that I had to work with uh, at my old job. And he was an example of a bulldog who's not nice. He was way not nice. Um, he was really big and really fat and not neutered. And so I, the most I dealt with Deuce Bigelow was when he was there the day of his neuter. Um, bulldogs also get these cysts between their toes. And so he was there to have like a cyst removed from between his toes. So he was, he had to go under full anesthesia, IV fluids, all that. Um, this will, we'll, we'll get to the vein of puncture of the week later, but this bulldogs can be tricky to get IV catheters into. They can be tricky to draw blood from. And especially when it's a big meaty bulldog head that's going rah, 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 and is trying to bite your face. That can make it slightly difficult as well. So Deuce Bigelow, I mean, and because he had airway problems, you know, he snarfled the whole time as he's growling and trying to kill you. So it was like we had to do everything really slowly so he wouldn't get stressed out, which means that we're going to get stressed out. Um, he had to wear like the largest sized e-collar like because you can't muzzle these guys you know it's like muzzling them is I mean you just have to like cover their face with a sheet or with a big blanket basically because they have no face to muzzle. Um, 
But then they're at risk for, if you cover them with a big old blankie, they're at risk for getting too hot and you can't see their mucous membranes and like bulldogs will turn blue on you without warning. And so that's not really great either. So I remember Deuce Bigelow's solution was to put um, one of those hard plastic e-collars on because then at least the e-collar is kind of flapping around, but he can't get his short face past it to bite you. So I remember trying to like, I'm putting his catheter in and I've got like two people holding onto this giant meatball of a dog and this giant like radio satellite e-collar because it's the biggest size to get around his giant neck and yet it extends like two feet beyond his short face and it acts like a megaphone so the whole time that I'm there holding onto this stubby twisted leg trying to get this catheter into this impossible leg and the whole time he's like fogging up the side of the e-collar like (laughs) sounding like like alien so that that was fun breeding bulldogs. We have messed them up so much in the way that they are now anatomically constructed that they actually can't do it very well on their own. So I will post a picture on the Cat Disgusted Facebook page of what these things are, but bulldogs need our help to mate. And so once again, we can thank Um, the good people of Britain for this, they've created what they call the bulldog mating cradle. And essentially what this is, is it's like it positions the two bulldogs in a way so that the two parts can connect efficiently. Because, you know, the, the, the way, the way that, you know, the way the girl bulldog is is shaped she's so round and kind of low to the ground and then the boy bulldog is kind of can't get up on top of her very good i mean it's just a hot mess it's it's like two it's like two bowling balls rolling around trying to do it it's horrible and so what they did is they created this cradle thing that kind of holds her rear end up at an angle and kind of holds the male bulldog in place a little bit and also they don't have to work as hard because if they're like working real hard they might get too hot and go into respiratory distress like they do so i'll I'll post a picture of this because i feel like it's 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 well worth knowing that these exist in the world today um, they also once they once they've achieved this um, gargantuan feat of of mating and pregnancy, um, bulldogs have to be C-section. They have to be born by cesarean section, ninety nine point nine percent of the time because their heads are so huge that they can't get through the birth canal of the poor female dog trying to give birth to them. So a lot of times, you know, when, when people are breeding their bulldogs, they, they schedule uh, a C-section. Like they don't even, they don't even want the dog to try on her own because they just know that it's just going to be like a whole row of giant heads trying to squeeze through a hole that's way too small. So uh, C-sections on bulldogs, yeah, pretty, pretty much all the time. So now that, that we've all gained a little bit of uh, insight and information on, on this particular breed and how it functions or doesn't function, as the case may be, um, I feel like this is a great segue into what I am really excited about, um, a pretty fabulous venipuncture of the week. So 
uh, we had a, a bulldog come into the emergency room for what is another common problem with uh, bulldogs. She had been vomiting. Uh, it might have been that she ate something weird. It might have been just a stomach bug. We don't really know. Uh, but because she was puking and because bulldogs kind of aren't anatomically put together right, she had what we, what we think she had done is aspirated some of her vomitus during said vomiting sessions, and she'd given herself a real bad pneumonia. So she had come in, the vomiting had happened uh, like a day or two before, but then she was acting very lethargic. Uh, she didn't really want to eat. And her as soon as she didn't want to eat, her people were like, whoa, something's wrong. So we took x-rays and the doctor very wisely thought, well, if she's you know, if, if she's not eating and the, the vomiting happened two days ago and, and, oh, that was the other thing too, is she had been at her regular vet earlier in the day and they thought that she had, was, was panting and not breathing well. By the time she got to us, that had kind of resolved itself. Like she was breathing normally. She didn't seem like she wasn't cyanotic or, you know, turning blue or pale or any of that. Uh, but we took, um, chest x-rays as well as abdominal x-rays and saw that her lungs looked uh, what we could say a little consolidated they looked a little cloudy and so she had a pneumonia so what that means is she has uh, in, in a perfect world because she's not eating and she was vomiting um, sending her home on oral meds would be a bit risky because she risks vomiting those meds back up and further aspirating some more of that vomitus into her lungs. So we gave them uh, an estimate for, for this dog to stay in the hospital for, for a day or two. Uh, initially the owners thought they were going to take her home and then they spoke with their regular vet and the regular vet actually agreed with us and was like, well, I don't know if I take her home might be risky. Cause you know, tricky, um, these bulldogs also, oh yeah, this dog was like, I think she was like 11 years old or something, which is kind of unheard of for the bulldogs. I feel like, you know, their lives unfortunately will end fairly early, uh, due to all the problems, but she was a very good looking 11 year old bulldog and she'd had a really healthy life leading up to this, like not a lot of problems. Um, so the people decided that, well, why take the risk? Let's just go ahead and have her stay in the hospital. So uh, what we did is we hospitalized her to put her on IV fluids, uh, give her some intravenous antibiotics, uh, oxygen support if she needs, but she didn't need any of it. So the first thing we did, we, we, I think we took, oh, after the x-rays, then we took uh, what's called a pulse oximetry reading on her to make sure that she was oxygenating okay. This is that same device that you wear on your finger in the hospital. Uh, in uh, dog world, we put it on their lip or we can do it rectally. Um, but in her case, uh, her pulse ox values were, were pretty reasonable. So she didn't need uh, oxygen support at that point. So then came putting in her IV catheter and getting her on some fluids and getting her some injectables. Well, we took one look at those legs. Oh, mm. they were tricky. They were kind of, she had these crooked legs that were kind of turned inwards. There wasn't a whole lot of leg to work with, you know, it's just like a little caterpillar, a little stubby little bulldog legs. Um, and really just not any kind of vessel to visualize, you know, you can kind of feel, sometimes you can kind of feel with your finger where there's a little bounce, like a little bit of tension where there's a little bounce, even if you can't see it like, Oh, okay. There's a little bounce right there. I think that's where the blood vessel is. <laughs> yeah. No, all you felt was just meat, meaty leg. So I tried to get a catheter in, I was unsuccessful. And when that happens, when you poke a couple times and it's like, okay, puff, puff, pass, you got to go to the next person. So then, uh, I think it was two other technicians tried. There were multiple attempts. So 
the last person who came up to it was uh, Amanda Fock, Fokker, my boss. And we were a little bit like, oh, what are we going to do with this? But we had seen on the previous attempts, we noticed that she had this little what's called an accessory vein. Um, so we go for their cephalic vein in their in their front leg. And you can see it on yourself a little bit sometimes. Depends on the type of person that you are, if you're one of them veiny peeps. Um, but it kind of runs over the top of your arm. Um, there's a little accessory to it or like a smaller vein that kind of comes out, like a, like a river with a tributary, right? This little, little vein that kind of comes off um, to the side. And a lot of times we'll use that vein for like in intravenous injections or we'll use it for blood sampling sometimes um, because you can use that one and you're not going to mess up the one that you would want to put a catheter in later. So if we're going to put a catheter in, we don't primarily shoot for that first because uh, it's not as big and it's not as uh, hardy, really. You know, I feel like they kind of they, they can they can be leaky and blow a little bit easier. But in Bulldog's case, in this dog's case, we could see it. You could see it kind of running across and underneath her leg and then kind of it goes towards kind of the bottom of their paw. So me and Fokker are looking at this leg and it's like, well, they're there it is. There's a vein. And it's like, well, let's see where, should we follow this and see? And and she could see from where she was, I was holding the dog at this point. She could see that it kind of turned underneath um, and kind of went underneath her paw a little bit. And it was like, well, since we see it, let's try it. And so she went very, very low, lower than we really ever go um, on that vessel, like almost underneath her paw and was able to get feed trickily. Ooh, it was trickily. Is that a word? It was tricky to get this catheter in there. Cause it's like, you know, there was, you got the, you have a hard stylet on the inside of this plastic tube, which is this catheter. And you have to get that in first. And then you have to feed your catheter over the top of that stylet. And because the vessel wasn't really in a straight line, it was like, whoa, tricky. It was a little bit of finagling to get that stylet where you wanted it to be. But lo and behold, that catheter fed into that vein. And so this poor dog, after making a pin cushion out of this bull dog trying to get um, catheters into it. It was this really odd little floppy vessel on the underside of her leg, which ended up being the one that uh, that that we got a catheter into. So hooray, Amanda Fock for Venipuncture of the Week. That was a good one. Um, and that catheter stayed in the whole night. Uh, the dog went home the next morning. Uh, went to see her regular vet. Oh, that's right. The dog went to see her regular vet the next morning and stayed in their hospital all day. And then when the dog went home at the end of the afternoon, uh, the that hospital actually left the catheter in because they were too afraid to take it out because <laughs> they were afraid they wouldn't be able to get it back in in case she went home and uh, declined overnight and she had to go back to emergency. So that catheter actually stayed in, uh, which is really unusual for like an extra 12 hours while the dog dog went home just in case uh, she needed to be rehospitalized because the regular vet knew that it was such a battle to get it in there. So hooray, 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 Venipuncture of the Week, and hooray for that for that dog as well, for doing as, as, as well as she did. She did great, no more vomiting, pneumonia cleared up, uh, went home on some oral medication, super rad. Well, kids, you've done it again. You've survived another episode of Cat Disgusted. Um, stay tuned for me and Melanie's next joint adventure. Uh, we're really looking forward to it, and we know you guys are too, so thank you for that. Um, definitely check out the Cat Disgusted Facebook uh, page. I'm going to post some pictures of the old breeding, the mating cradle on there, which is always fun to, to share with people if you didn't know about that already, which I, if you're listening to this podcast and you know about that, 
I'm so stoked that you're a fan. Uh, thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. Um, and remember, do not come and see me at work. Good night, everybody.